This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Really, if somebody is wanting to do the body image work, I find that any movement, you know, towards that body love end is going to bring somebody relief and help them experience more confidence in their body. That includes hating your body less. You're listening to Make Some Noise Podcast, episode number 581 with guest Megan Hadley. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so grateful for you every week. I have a repeat guest on today, and she's local to me. She's a local friend and amazing human and expert on this topic. So I'm excited to welcome her back on the show in just a minute. But I have some exciting news. Well, I actually have a few exciting news things that are happening uh, that are in regard to books, multiple, but I'm going to make that announcement shortly, probably in the next week or so. Check my Instagram. And one thing is that I am reintroducing group programs. That's something I have not done in years. And so I'm I'm really pumped about it. I know that many of you have been asking, when is the next group program? How can I work with you at, you know, at this capacity? And so it's coming. So please stay tuned. I am in the works of creating everything for the year. You know me, I get excited and I I announce things too soon on the podcast. So I'm going to be smart about it. <laughs> <laughs> and make sure I have everything all in order before before I make that announcement to you. But I am I am really excited about it and and getting to see you on Zoom again, as well as I'm gonna do an in-person thing this year. So stay tuned for all of that. I also have an opening or two. I might have two for private coaching if that's something that you're interested in. Everything can be found at andreaowen.com slash links. That's where all the important things are housed for you to click on and get more information and or sign up. AndreaOwen.com slash links. Alrighty, let me tell you a little bit about today's guest. Meg Hadley is a registered dietitian nutritionist who is on a mission to help women become more nutrition and body confident so that they can enjoy life more and make bigger impact on the world. She does this through her coaching program, Becoming Body Confident, and through her private practice, Simple Nutrition in Greensboro, North Carolina. So without further ado, here is Megan. <laughs> Megan, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm excited to keep talking to you about these topics. Part two, part two, here we are. Well, this <laughs> comes from a listener request. I put a survey out earlier this year and I'm trying to, my best to get to all of the requests. And this person wanted to know specifically around eating disorders and eating disorder recovery. So if, if people are listening to this, I, I, I don't want you to stop listening if you, you know, if you don't identify as someone, you know, who's had an eating disorder. I think that for women who grew up in this culture, like, I think 
probably the vast majority of us have struggled with at least quote unquote disordered eating. So can we start there? Can I make that into a question? Can you say some things about that? Yeah, I really look at disordered eating and eating disorders on a spectrum. Like they're all there together from, you know, with the, with the farthest level of anxiety experienced being the eating disorder Mm -hmm. and all the way up through like disordered eating still constitutes like, I mean, dieting or trying to, to do anything to change body shape or size. It still fits on that disordered eating spectrum. So even like, like, can we just call out like intermittent fasting, even things like um, doing paleo and, and all of that? Yeah, you can absolutely call that out. Whole 30, which I think is an insidious yeah. one that a lot of people don't think about, but a lot of uh, anything kind of restriction. Um, well, and Whole 30 kind of fits under that more wellness culture sure. aspect. That's the reason why I like I call that like that. flirting with an eating disorder. That's what yeah. I call it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well said. Well said. So I think you make a really good point that um, even if somebody maybe can't relate to the eating disorder mm-hmm. part, I also think it's so important for us women to have awareness of that this is happening and it's actually really prominent. I mean, the the number of people who have uh, eating disorders in our country is similar to the number of people they predict have diabetes in our country. Mm-hmm. We talk about diabetes a lot. We're not talking about eating disorders as much. So anybody can relate to this conversation based on, you know, what some of the different things that we're going to talk about. Uh, but also even just from having an awareness of, of there's probably women in your life who, or men, um, who have an eating disorder that you you may not know about. Mm -hmm. And I think too, a lot of times we see just these sensationalized or very severe cases of someone with anorexia who you know has become emaciated or someone who binges and purges several times a day uh and that's 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 really the more like far down on the spectrum correct yeah it is it's farther down on the spectrum and and it's really not the most typical presentations of eating disorders and eating disorders as well as different places on that spectrum because I you know I want anybody to hear that if they don't struggle with an eating disorder it doesn't mean that they're still not having a significant impact on their life from negative body image and struggles with food and struggles with weight um feeling like they're struggling with their weight which is part of the issue is the perception uh but the you know a lot of what is really significant life impacting eating disorder behavior don't even kind of fit you know, a stereotypical, most of it fits like atypical, <laughs> most yeah. of it fits a, an atypical, um, you know, place, a diagnosis. Okay. Okay. So what are the most common sort of eating disorders or disordered eating that you see with high achieving women? Like what are their symptoms? Well, you know, with food, it tends to be, you know, feeling you know, restriction and all of the eating disorders are based in restriction, except for our fed, which we won't get to in this because that's different, but we're talking about diagnosing disorders. So if somebody has experience with binging, um, somebody has experience uh, with just restriction in more of an anorexia format, mm-hmm. like it's, it's all, all of it is based in restriction. It's the restriction that can perpetuate a binge or overeating experience. And that happens anywhere on the spectrum. 
Most people that I've seen in the years that I've been been working with folks with eating disorders um, in my brick and mortar practice is, you know, a combination of a different behavior that doesn't fit any one single diagnosis in the DSM-5, which is what the mental health, what mental health folks use to diagnose with. And so a lot of times people will see that and they'll say, well, I don't have an eating disorder because it doesn't look exactly like that's what that. I did because I I was yeah. a heavy restrictor in the periods of time in my twenties, but I still always got had my period, mm-hmm. and there was another really big symptom that I that I wasn't experiencing. I can't remember what it was, but I I always got my period, and to me that felt like once that ha- happens, then you're in trouble. It's very much like alcoholism, to be honest with you, because <laughs> there were things that I saw in other people where I was like, oh, but I don't hide my booze like in the laundry basket, you know, but I don't drink in the morning. So I'm okay. Yeah. But but yet I was, you know, I had trouble sleeping. I would go to bed with a rapid heart rate. I, you know, I was, my hair started falling out. Like it, it was not good. I, what you're bringing up is such an important point because even folks who have been diagnosed with an eating disorder struggle with that diagnosis because there's this constant kind of narrative of like, I'm not sick enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sick enough. It's not actually that bad yet when they feel like it impacts their the way it impacts their life constantly thinking about food constantly thinking about body image constantly thinking about movement like where they're fitting in exercise whatever different behaviors might be participating in it's actually taking up a big chunk of brain space I mean Much, yeah. and yeah and so in, in a high achieving woman and, and a lot of Folks that I see with eating disorders are high achieving women. A lot of them, some of them may be perfectionistic. Um, we see that a little bit more in our folks that have anorexia, um, high bent towards perfectionism. Folks are managing to balance like so many different things in their lives and keeping up, you know, with all of the different behaviors that are, that are coming with the eating disorder as well. When should someone re- like make the decision to seek help? Because like, and I also, this is sort of like a a tag along question. I I have found in my experience, it was never really about the food or the calorie restriction Mm -hmm. or the, the exercise calories in calories out. It was, it was like the life stuff. So when should someone get help and and what might that look like? I think you start getting tired. (laughs) <laughs> you know, <laughs> in many ways, you you get you start getting tired. I you know that's when a lot of times folks get help. What I think I would really want women to hear is that when you start realizing in the day to day that you're you're thinking a lot about like the food, the body, when you are feeling like it's it's consuming like a chunk of your life. Like a lot of times, I'll show people a give people a blank pie chart and kind of say, okay, to the right of this, write out like a lot of the things that matter to you in life. And then where would you put them on the pie chart? And a lot of times like food and body is taking up. They're like, like, can it all be food and body? Wow. Yeah. The point is, is that there's a lot of different things that matter to an individual. And we want that food, food and body should take up some of our time, but, but not not all of our time. And you're right, especially when it comes to the point of eating disorder and the the anxiety tends to be that intense. Um, It's not so much about, it's not always about thinness, although trying to be small, you know, trying to make the body smaller, trying to be smaller is, is a lot of way that manifests, but a lot of it is trying to, to manage that anxiety. It's, you know, a coping skill to try to manage uh, some of the the anxious feelings or the panicky feelings, you know, stress uh, that that comes about in life, 
And it's being able to help somebody shift and reach for some different coping skills in order to help, you know, it's kind of like a, a different way of, it's not a sustainable way to regulate the nervous system is what, you know, is really kind of trying to, to happen there. And so, you know, I think that, you know, noticing that like when this is taking up a big part of your life um, and that you want to be able to put some things back in perspective is certainly a place where somebody can get support, whether or not they think they have an eating disorder or not. Because I think a lot of women who f- would fall more in that disordered eating dieting spectrum would be able to relate to that. Oh, this is so interesting. I, I love a couple of things that you said. One of them being, you know, we're, I think we're constantly trying to, well, and I think maybe it's people who are seekers, people who listen to these kinds of podcasts, like trying to figure out a way how to regulate our nervous system, even though we might not call it that. Like we just want to feel better. We want to, we want more tools and resources to be able to behave better and think better. It's like at the end of the day, you're trying to regulate your nervous system. <laughs> That's really what we're trying to do. Right. Which brings me to, I was thinking about when you were talking, I was thinking about when, so when I, I don't know if everybody know people know this that listen to this podcast. So a hundred years ago when blogging was still like popular, I started a blog back in about 07. And it was right around the time too that I had, you know, really accepted what my therapist had been telling me that I was pretty severely codependent and that I had an eating disorder. So I was blogging in a way to try to kind of unpack it and figure it out. I think I think many of us get to a point, I think many of the listeners probably can relate to this, where we try to figure out what is the, why are we behaving the way that we do? Like, why do we keep coming up in these same relationship patterns? Why do we have these eating disorder symptoms? Why do we drink too much, et cetera, et cetera? So I was like in that place, you know, kind of blogging, like trying to figure it out. And and then I kind of moved on to a different symptom and then it became drinking and I I wasn't symptomatic in my eating disorder anymore, which then, then I ended up getting sober. So I sort of left the eating disorder behind both in symptoms and unpacking. Like what what was what was it? Many years later, to make a very long story short, it was trauma. But also, have you listened to, and I'll put the link in the show notes for people that might be interested in, in listening to it. If you listen to the episode uh, with Dr. Hillary McBride when she was on Glennon Doyle's podcast, that we can do hard things. I have not, but I did I, get to listen to an interview with her with Jen Hatmaker. That okay. Was really and so yeah. um, Dr. Hillary McBride has an eating disorder past. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the... A population of people that she largely works with. And I don't I don't listen to Glennon's podcast very often, but I listened to this one because it was about psychedelics, which I'm, you know, mildly obsessed with at the moment. And she was talking about how she had the psychedelic experience. And I've I've sent this podcast episode specifically so people that are close to me can listen to this one part where she talks about her experience going through this. I think it was psilocybin. I think it was magic mushrooms. She, from a therapeutic standpoint, she was having this experience and she talks about the, how she saw the origin of her eating disorder and how it was from at a young age, she would go through these hard experiences as we all do. And she didn't know what to do with these emotions and, you know, what was happening to her her nervous system. And so she funneled it away and she, you know, she knew that people around her were overwhelmed and having feelings and that was too hard for her. And so she funneled it away and funneled it away. And the eating disorder was a means for her to be able to push it down and still be able to connect with other people. And I was crying listening to this, Megan, because I was like, that's it. That's what I was doing. That's what I was doing with the eating disorder. That's what I was doing with 
bad relationships. That's what I was doing with the drinking. Mm-hmm. That's it. And so the magic part of that, I mean, to put a bow on the end of it was that during the psychedelic experience, she was able to sort of um, relive these hard experiences and have different outcomes. Of course, it's all in her mind, but it allows your brain, you know, and like neuroplasticity and blah, 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 <laughs> which is, a, which is another conversation for another expert. But there was, I, I, my point is that there was healing in it and I, I might be way ahead of my, I myself, but it just made me really excited. And yeah, anyway. Yeah. It's a really beautiful thing because, you know, a lot of times with clients, I tell, help them remind that they were trying to survive something, yeah. you know, with, with your eating disorder behaviors and trying to remember that the eating disorder, a lot of times too, is it's kind of like a little protector. Like it's like, oh my gosh, we need to, we need to do these things and we need to do it in this way, you know, in order for us to, to be okay it does serve a purpose to a degree. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when somebody's in a place where they're trying to work towards recovery, that can be kind of hard to, to grapple with. Like some folks that really resonates with some folks that it does not, but to your point, you know, it's, it's survival, you know, there's a, you know, there was, it's reaching for what somebody able is able to figure out is helping them survive that time. And really too, if we think about Andrew, like the disordered eating on the spectrum too, it's ultimately what's happening there too. Like women have a tremendous amount of pressure when we're looking at it more so from the body image standpoint, just a tremendous amount of pressure to try to fit a societal expectation. And the roots of that are survival too, you know, of, of being able to be accepted, being able to be loved, being able to fit in, in a, in a different way across the board the origins there are that we are all just we are all just trying to to do this thing in the day to day. For sure. Well, we have to take a quick break when we get back. I want to ask you more about treatment. So we'll be right back. I first gave AG1 a try because I was feeling low energy and sluggish and coffee just wasn't giving me what I needed. Especially in these winter months, I struggle with pep in my step. And since drinking AG1, I felt more energized and focused. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. Because aging is a part of life that we all have to deal with, but I don't think it should prevent me from doing the things I love, like going on long hikes with my dog. I want to do the things that matter to me for as long as possible, which is why I drink AG1 every morning to support my brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm laying the groundwork for long-term health. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process so you know it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to have them as a long-time partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com noise. That's drinkag1.com noise. Check it out. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. 
I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. If someone knows that they have a problem, but they can't get into medical treatment for whatever reason, because we know healthcare is so amazing here in the United States (laughs) and in other places, what is the route that would be most, that can be most beneficial for them? Someone like with limited resources, or maybe somebody who's just kind of like, you know, getting their feet wet. I think if if somebody has an opportunity at all to be able to reach out to an outpatient, it depends on where they're at, where at, but outpatient mental health therapist or outpatient uh, dietitian who specializes in eating disorders. And then I would always recommend who practices from in in the way they serve all their clients from a weight inclusive or, or health at every size modality, which I think is really important because every now and then you will actually see somebody that's doing like weight loss and eating disorder treatment in the okay. same place. I'm going to ask you and about health at every size in, in a, in a few questions. Yeah. Here, and that's, that's pretty, I don't, I don't know how, how one does that because it's a lot of times the pursuit of weight loss is restriction is the the number one trigger for developing an eating disorder in the first place. So, I mean, there's a lot of genetics and other things that can load the gun, but a lot of times it's restriction that pulls the trigger in the first place. If somebody is able to have the means through using an insurance benefit or being able to find somebody on on a low fee scale or just out of of pocket, if they're able to start the work there, um, that can be immensely helpful place to start. And if you're thinking about somebody who maybe doesn't have that many resources, I think beginning to do uh, some reading, um, Life Without Ed is a book that's been around for a long time, uh, written by a woman named Jenny Schaefer, uh, who- I saw her who, speak, like, uh, I think I was pregnant with my youngest, so many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it helps you just not feel so alone, because she yeah. really delves into a lot of the, the thoughts that happen. If somebody's like, struggling uh, with, with binge eating, there is a book, and I'm, I'm going to have to send it to you later, because all of a sudden the names are escaping me. But there is an excellent book that can be followed, kind of like treatment patterns okay. that so like could maybe start thinking about themselves. Yeah, that is, it's the title is something binge eating disorder. So I'll send it to you so you can drop it in the notes for folks. Um, but that that book would be a great way to approach things as well if somebody's struggling more with binge eating. But really, it, you know, trying to find a way to be able to start working with somebody in outpatient can be really helpful. There's also a wonderful organization called Project Heal, uh, who is offering help to help supplement folks to get the treatments they need, be it outpatient, inpatient, or in between. Mm-hmm. And you can apply for a scholarship through Project Heal. It's a great place to be. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Support. We'll put those links in, in the show notes for, for those of you that are interested. I, I have found, and I'm, I'm curious if you see this as well, in my experience with my eating disorder and how it's very different from 
drinking and abstaining is the obvious, like we don't need alcohol to survive. And so when I got sober, you know, I just got sober and it was, and it was fine. I mean, not fine, but what you, you get the, what I'm trying to say, but with my eating disorder, I have found, like you just said, you know, restriction is such a, um, an easy trigger that it, it comes back and it almost startles me. Like someone snuck up on me. Like, you know, like someone came in the room and I'm like, well, I didn't know you were still here. Where did you come from? I had murdered you. Like, <laughs> no, it's still at, you know, and, and, and even just like getting the flu or, or you know what yeah. I mean? Like 100% when you lose a few pounds and, and it was, and it was very interesting when, you know, I've talked to people about my, my Hashimoto's experience and I had gained, it, it was, it's, and people might remember me talking about the saga I had with my underwear and it, I made it into a joke because like I kept, I kept thinking something was wrong with my underwear, but it was actually like my butt was just getting bigger. And so it was sort of um, the way that my symptoms were, it was, it was sort of slowly, slowly. And then all at once in terms of not feeling well, the weight gain, but when I started to, I finally got on the right medication and some other life things happened that I think helped with my getting my thyroid to where it needed to be, as well as um, the symptoms going away. One of the symptoms was that I lost the weight, the weight came off. And it was an interesting thing to experience, especially because I had gained the weight and then gone to a place of like, okay, this is my body now. Like this is my size. And I bought all new clothes and was like, okay, this is, this is me at this age and this size. And then the weight came off like fairly quickly. And I was like, oh, here I am again. Like, and, and it was a new roller coaster. And I'm like, God damn it. I'm still here at 48. Like, what is this? So do you find that to be, I think, I guess my question is when people experience eating disorders, do they find that they sort of like do this dance with it over the years? Yeah, it really can be. It can be kind of an on an ongoing thing because you're right. I mean, we are like living organisms that are constantly changing and even unintentional weight loss. Like you mentioned the flu. I've even seen it when women postpartum, yeah. you know, which just natural losing some of their, their body weight because of. Well, and then the pressure you know, of like, get your before baby body oh, back. So. Yes. I mean, that's, that's a whole nother, that's it a whole is. nother ball game, Gross. but you know, uh, even unintentional restriction can even trigger this. Like it's, there's a, there's a biological thing happening there. And, you know, the, it can be something that, you know, somebody might need to remember throughout their time and be in touch with like, Oh, wait, there's some things that are coming up again that I don't need anymore but they're coming up and they're trying to say like, Hey, do you need me? You know, Hey, do you need me? I always, one of the things I think is so important to work on my, with my clients with when they are really, you know, in those, those later stages of recovery is learning their own. I call them tells, you know, learning their own tells about when, when is this starting to kind of come up in, in a very sneaky kind of way and how, and how, what, like, what do you want to do about it when that happens? You know, what is it that you want to remind yourself of? I like that question of like the, the so are you saying like that the, the eating disorder kind of says like do you need me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I like look at it critic, that way. You know, yeah. like the inner, uh, very similar to the inner critics. Like, no, no, I'm I'm good. But you know, I guess thanks for being around. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> like, oh, are we, are we doing this again? Do you need, yeah. like, <laughs> are we getting back together? No. Like, <laughs> Do we need to regulate some things here? No, no. I've got other ways. I've got other ways to do that. You know, when you start picking up those behaviors again or restriction again, or trying to change body shape or size, even if the motivation is more so from this place of like, I feel like I need to do this, this thing to make me feel better. It it can, it kind of like tends to snowball. And there's like, there's a message that often pops up that I always try to help my clients look out for of like, do this a little bit. Like I'll just restrict a little bit or I'll just purge a little bit, or I'll just do whatever this thing is a little bit to like five pounds or whatever it might be. And then I'll be okay. and I'll be better and I'll stop. But it, it rarely, that sounds like moderation. (laughs) That sounds like I'm just going to have one glass of wine (laughs) today. (laughs) Yeah. It rarely stops. It it normally continues to snowball from there. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting. You know, when I went through that kind of like weight gain and then weight loss again, what I was trying to regulate with myself and accept and and really hone in and listen to my intuition. And I think we talked about this the last time you were on about how most bodies have like a set weight of like where they want to be. And it might be within like five or 10 pounds, but, and it, and it changes depending on where we are in our life and hormones and and those types of things. But I have found, you know, really trying to listen to my body. And when I was sick and I had gained the weight, that was hard because I'm, I I struggled with like, cause I felt, and it was inflammation. I even like look back at pictures and I'm like, I was, I wasn't just in a bigger body. I was puffy. Like you can tell, I just, it, it, it wasn't, but at the time I was like, is this where I, my body wants to be. It was very confusing. And also being a little bit gaslight, gaslit by my doctor. <laughs> no, it's just perimenopause. I'm like, mm, I don't think this is it. My point is, is that it it took me a minute to kind of figure it out, but it was really a matter of me working pretty diligently about listening to my body is like, is this the size that my body needs to be right now? Where is my set weight? What is actually my body trying to tell me in terms of, am I sick? Or am I not? So it was it was a tricky situation, but it helped a lot. I really love, and I noticed that too when you're talking about it for I really love this, you know, question of like, you know, is this just is this my body size now? I mean, it it shows the work that you've done over the years that you would say like this is this is not super comfy, you know, to have my body change. And, you know, do I need to now look at this as like, do I need to do some acceptance work of where I'm at now? And even regardless of being sick or not, which certainly changed the path on how you took care of yourself from there. But, you know, if, if that's what the body's doing at the time, accepting that that's just where the body is at at the time for whatever reason is, is also probably really helpful. Cause had you kind of jumped into a path of like, oh, I need to fix this, you mm-hmm. know, immediately it probably would have continued to increase inflammation in your in your body. Well, and I did try to fix it by ways that actually I think made me worse, you know, because I started gaining weight and I was like, oh, wait, this, you know, my first reaction is like, what is this? Like, I know. And so I upped the cardio, which my body was like, no more cortisol. <laughs> so what was interesting is my attempts to try to quote unquote, like fix my symptoms made my symptoms worse, which was just the alarm started to go off of like, okay, there's something like really wrong here. I want to ask you, can you talk to us about like paint us a picture of what does the other side air quotes of eating disorder recovery look like? Like for someone who might not know, like how does a healthy person 
cope with problems and handle body size. We talked about a little bit, you know, food, those types of things. From what I've seen clients do is that when, when you, you go from kind of feeling like a stressful, maybe a stressful event happens in, in one's life and perhaps they would have restricted to numb from that, Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to feel like they can kind of plow through it. Like you said, to not necessarily dig deeper into the emotional pieces of it and instead be able to better ask a question about, you know, that still might be an instinct that comes up, but be able to better ask a question of, what do I really need right now? Like what is actually going on here? You know, do I need to take care of myself by digging deeper into this in therapy? Do I need to take care of myself with some grounding techniques? Do I need to take care of myself with making contact with another human being? And depending on the person and depending on the situation, when a normal life event would happen that would make somebody want to reach for an eating disorder behavior in order to cope, they're more able to kind of ask the question of what else do I need here? One of the most important parts about recovery too, is that that desire is a lot less persistent. You know, like you said, maybe you'd gone a long time without having an experience like that. And it, and it, I'd be interested what your experience like is it just gets less and less and less and less and less. And somebody who maybe feels like this is a more a gradual experience than what you had described earlier is that it just continues to be, you, you can kind of reflect year over year of like, oh, like I'm experiencing this time and space in my life differently. It's not taking up as much headspace. It's not a constant thing that I feel like I'm having to manage. And I think for somebody who's experiencing these constant negative thoughts about food, body, and what they should, should and should not be doing about it, it it's hard to imagine that that can ever be true. You know, that it can ever be true that that doesn't is no longer a daily or maybe even a weekly battle anymore. Yeah, I've I've definitely been in that place where I remember a time where I didn't it was so that unconscious incompetence of of like I didn't even realize that there were people who didn't constantly think about you know what I mean? Like it never even occurred to me. It was sort of like the, the the fish in the water, like what water, you know, <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, and it, it wasn't until I think my symptoms got really bad and people started to comment about it that I was like, oh, is this not like what every woman in their 20s is doing? Like, or is there another another way to live? And also, I mean, it was the same with alcohol. Like I couldn't, when I would think about getting sober, I would get so scared because I couldn't imagine my life without alcohol. Like it had become such a, a coping mechanism for me. I was terrified of how to go about my life and my day-to-day life without having it constantly consume me. And I, and I think some of that was unconscious of, does this mean I'm going to have to open Pandora's box? Like, does this mean I'm going to have to like, and it, the answer was yes. And like, I, I, I'm not like kind of cringing over here because I think that you have to get to that place. And I've said this so many times on the show, like you have to get to that place where the fear of staying the same, like this, the fear of continuing with your symptoms, whatever that is, whether it's with food or body or alcohol or whatever is worse than maybe trying to look at all your trauma. (laughs) That was the tipping point. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, even folks who experience this more in a dieting capacity, I mean, I've had, I have a 
a therapist that I served one time and and she'd said the most beautiful thing. She said, you know, I've really been able to get more into and address more like my core issues now that I'm not, you know, using this place as the place to constantly go to in order to fix X, Y, and Z in order to, to try to feel better. It does clear space. And you're so right. You know, that can be a really scary thing. You know, some I've seen clients worry that the pain is just going to be too intense. Yeah, You know, the pain is just going to be that too intense. Me. And that's the reason why, you know, having somebody that is a mental health therapist has experience in eating disorders, you know, alongside, if you're able to do it, um, a dietitian who specializes in eating disorders can can help. Like we overlap, you know, it's like a Venn diagram, mm-hmm. and so we we overlap in the work what they do, and it and you're and we're kind of there to help support you through that place and and to take it at the pace that you need to take it. For people who are like kind of also cringing and thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm not ready to go in there. I want to say this is it, hopefully it's it's helpful and and makes you feel hopeful. It's so many things like I made up that it was going to be way worse than it actually was. And I'm talking about like the recovery piece of actually sitting in therapy, talking about your neuroses, you know, and I've even done some somatic work, which is sort of the next frontier. Like I'm not nearly done with it. I've only done a little bit of it and it's enormously helpful. And I will continue to do that. And, you know, some of that will be with psychedelics, but I have found that when I'm sitting in a therapist's office and I've had several different therapists, the vast majority who've been really great is that, you know, when we're processing out loud and we're talking about these things and then we kind of say the thing that has been buried, like for me, it's, you know, I think my core major wound is nobody really likes me all that much. Like people are just like humoring me. Nobody really gives a shit. And when I talk about that from underneath a surface level, as I just talked about right now, like where I really like say the things that I believe about myself to be true. And the therapist just sits with me and just like, they don't like gasp or, uh, you know, they're not like, oh yeah, that could be true. (laughs) Or that's your, that's your belief that's weird. Like that's what, you know, my own inner critic, the thing that tells me like to shut it down, like maybe you should drink alcohol. Maybe you should restrict that. That part of my brain is telling me that the therapist is going to think I'm stupid or they're going to like confirm my biggest fears. But when they just sit with you and they're like, yeah, I get it. Or that's, that's common. And, or say more about that. Like, and, and, you know, they just let you cry sitting there on the couch and they let me tell jokes and they see right through it. (laughs) That is healing. And it, even to say it, and it's like, really, is it that big of a deal? It is a big deal to be witnessed in your humanity. I never knew how powerful that was to be witnessed in your humanity because it is what connects us. It is what brings us together. It is, I think, where like real love is, even if you, you know, even if you just have like a therapy therapist client relationship. Anyway, so I hope that helps people who are listening. Do you, do you like as a therapist yourself, is that, am I on track there? It is such a beautiful thing that you just said. I mean, to be able to share something with another person uh, that you have built, you know, a certain level of trust. I mean, I bet, I bet the the part of you that felt like that needed to be pushed down was just terrified oh, of like what was going to happen. I mean, I bet it was like, no, no, what are you doing to us? 
we need to keep this inside. You know, like, what are you doing? You're going to ruin everything. To be able to say the thing and have the person across from you not run away, you know, to sit with you and be by your side in, in conveying acceptance and conveying that you are okay is such, such a healing and, and beautiful thing. I have found that to be, I mean, at least as of now, as far in as I've gone, like the most healing thing. And one of the things that brings me back to that podcast episode I was talking about earlier, and Dr. Hillary McBride is talking about this experience that she had. And, and she talks about, you know, she was, you know, hallucinating or whatever. And she's, she's imagining showing the people that she loves the most and cares the most about kind of walking them through this she it's a, she's using a metaphor of a balloon like she had she had funneled all of the terrible and hard and hurtful things that had happened in her life in a in a balloon and in this experience she's like holding the hand of the people she loves the most and walking them through this balloon and showing them all of the things and they wept with her and they held her and i'm listening to this podcast episode weeping and i said out loud and they didn't run away and I was like, oh, that's that's my thing. That's my yeah. fear. Cause like, and I'm emotionally even talking about it because I'm like, my fear is that if I show anybody the true pain that I have funneled away, they will run away. And because you know why? Because some of them have mm-hmm. in my life. And I'm like, and that fucking hurts <laughs> when when you care about someone and you trust them and you're super vulnerable and they're like, oh, this person's going to hold me and they don't. I mean, you will shut down and that's when you drink and that's when you restrict and that's when you, you know, you do, we do all these things to like keep funneling it away and keep funneling it away. So I think part of why that particular sharing that, that Dr. McBride gave when she's like, you know, and they just like walked with me, I was like, that's, that's my kind of you know, my, I don't want to say golden ticket, but I can't think of a better thing. Like that's where I need to walk towards in terms of my own healing. And I say all that because all these symptoms that we're talking about are a way to move away from that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it can be really, it's just that it's exactly what you said, Andrea. I mean, it it moves you away from being able to heal those places. And, and sometimes like it, it, like I said before, like it served its purpose for, for a time, but it's, not, it's not, it's not a good way to live life. Like the way the person feels like it's usually feeling, you feel terrible um, when you participate in those behaviors over time. And it's really hard on the body and it is, it's, it's isolating. And that's, that's part of it. Because if you aren't making those connections, um, you're, you know, you're protecting yourself from this, this feared pain. Yeah. I had said this to a friend recently too, who shared something big and you know, she's worried it was too much. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. it is, it's a lot. It's a lot. Your pain is a lot and that's okay. You know, it's okay because I'm here to be alongside of you in it. And that's what therapists and like, you know, a dietitian who specializes in eating disorders can, can be there for, you know, is to be alongside of you when it feels like you're, you're worried you're going to be too much or it's going to be too much. And, and they can be there with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We need to take one more ad break. And when we get back, I want to talk to you about some body positivity stuff. Be right back. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? 
This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. We have a little bit of time left and I want to ask you about body positivity because I've had several guests on talk about it and it's, you know, I feel like it it kind of, it was very popular when it first came out and then people were like, wait, no. (laughs) And then there, you know, feminism is, is intertwined and white feminism and um, okay. So can you, in your opinion, what is it? And like, like, what should we be striving for both in terms of like our own body positivity? And maybe can you talk a little bit about the movement? The movement is, is exactly what you said. Like it, it might've done some, some good things in there and pointing to like, oh, there's another way that we're allowed to try to feel about our bodies, but it also kind of traipses along this toxic positivity trend as well. You know, it can make you feel like you're doing it wrong too, which just kind of falls under really the language of diet culture altogether is that, you know, there's a certain way to do something and and if not, you're doing it wrong. And, you know, the way I look at body image in the work that I do with my clients is I look at it too on a spectrum, you know, and that in, in a real far side, somebody might experience, you know, pretty intense body hate. And on the other more positive end, it might be somebody is able to experience body love in its entirety or um, in different places about themselves. And in the middle is a very neutral. And But there's a lot of stops along the way. Really, if somebody is wanting to do the body image work, I find that any movement you know, towards that body love end is going to bring somebody relief and help them experience more confidence in their body. That includes hating your body less just hating your body less. And I think that what a lot of women have told me is that helps them feel like it's far more approachable because it's really hard to imagine like loving their body. So if, if loving your body is the only thing you're supposed to work towards and it's not, it doesn't feel fathomable or even just right to you and your being, like it just doesn't feel like it aligns. 
I mean, okay, then I'll just stay over here and body hate or body dislike land. Yeah. And so I think it's important for somebody that I'm working with to kind of identify like, well, where do you feel like you are now? And like, where do you, where do you want to be? Like, where, and like, that's, that's what we can work towards. What do you feel like would make your life better? Instead of saying, I, the expert, think you should lose X amount of pounds. Or or maybe like if they give you a huge weight loss number that you want, then maybe as the expert, you dig into that instead of telling them they're wrong. Yeah. And I think it's so important to note that, you know, a lot of times uh, the the only tools that women are being shouted out for, for feeling better in your body is to lose weight mm-hmm. or to exercise or whatever it is. And that is not the only strategy for feeling better in one's body. As a matter of fact, a lot of times it only leads to like a short-term relief because most weight loss attempts aren't sustainable anyway. So it really doesn't usually lead to a lifelong path of feeling better in one's body, which is really also important to note because our bodies are, are ever changing. Right. <laughs> you know, Like we are always changing. And so, you know, I think more so talking about it from the standpoint of like, how do you want to feel in your body? And there are, I mean, I work with clients with about nine different strategies along the way in order to help change the way they see that they see their body and the way that they experience having a bad body day or feeling uncomfortable with their body. You can shift all of that so that it's no longer about like, I need to lose X number of pounds, you know, in order to feel better in this body those kind of qualifications. Well, can we shift over? I have one more question for you before we uh, tell everybody where to find you and, and close up. The the health at every size movement, can you give us like the one, two, threes? And I know many people use the acronym H-A-E-S. Like what it, what is that? It is a, a modality for taking care of individuals uh, that can be used anywhere in healthcare or in therapy or anything like that. Um, ASDA is the Association of Size, Diversity, and Health. They hold the trademark for Health at Every Size, but it was a movement that started with queer fat women in the 60s, I believe it was. Oh, wow. Uh, I didn't know it goes that far back. It it does. And it was started by fat queer women who wanted to take a stance of saying that we deserve better care. It was a, it's an acknowledgement that you can be healthy you can pursue health for yourself at every size, at any size without trying to change your body size. So weight inclusive care is one of, of four pillars of health at every size addressing and talking about the impact of weight stigma is another important aspect of health at every size, Uh, moving a body in a way that feels good to itself and also approaching, um, eating from a more intuitive approach instead of a diet mentality. Those are the the core aspects. And so I use that modality when I'm taking care of and helping support anybody that I'm working with, be it somebody with an eating disorder or a woman who is wanting to become more food and body confident, uh, because uh, I find it, I, I find it as a essential way to approach these different areas in order to really kind of liberate somebody to get out of more of a cyclic approach of like weight loss, weight gain, weight loss, weight gain, mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to heading down 
more of a, a path of, you know, a sustainable approach to food and their body and their health. I love this conversation. Of course, I'm thinking of like three more questions. I'm just going to have to have you back on for part three. I know you're local to North Carolina and, but you do online classes and things like that, right? So where can people go if they want to learn more about you and, and maybe work with you? So if you are somebody with an eating disorder and you are in the state of North Carolina, and then there are some other states also that we can serve folks in, um, you can find me at simplenutrition.com. Uh, me and two other dietitians that work with me that have similar philosophies. Uh, we would love to help support you if you're interested in uh, wanting to, to move to a different place with your struggles with food and body. And then I work with women, uh, business owners and, and leaders and professionals in wanting to become more food and body confident in my becoming body confident group. I also do one to one coaching. Uh, and they can find me there for that at Meg Hadley. MegHadley.com and SimpleNutrition.com. We'll put those links in the show notes. And you know, I can I can attest to your work because I'm a personal friend of yours as well. So you have my stamp of approval. Thank you so much for being here again. And listeners, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you so much. And I'm so grateful that you choose to join me and my guests every week. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. I would be so incredibly grateful if you haven't done so already, if you could leave a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Super easy if you already listen to your shows over there. Um, But if you don't, or maybe you have the app on your phone, but you listen to the show on a different app, if you could leave a review for this show, it matters so much. I wish I could express how much it matters. I also wish that it didn't matter so much, but alas, it does. So if you haven't already, please go review and rate the show. It would mean so much to me. And thank you so much. I hope you have an amazing day. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside The Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.